Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Arnold. I'm the high school pastor here, and I am feeling really blessed to be with you and open up God's Word together. Um, before I do that, I want, to, uh, I want to begin by asking a question. Uh, have you ever felt inadequate? <laughs> That's a heavy question. You're like, Arnold, geez, a little, starting off heavy, huh? Have you ever felt inadequate? I ask that question rather rhetorically because uh, everybody at some point has felt inadequate. And whether you're the type that's like, I'm going to kind of go off to the side here, or you're the one who's like, I'm going to jump in and fake it till I make it, everyone has been in this space where it's like the moment was too big. I want to share with you a time in my own life where that was the case. Um, uh, there's plenty of that here, I imagine, in my current job, uh, but I'm, it's a little too close to home, so I'm going to go back a couple of jobs ago. Um, yeah, I was working for this uh, flooring company, and the owner of the company calls me up unexpectedly one day, and he says, Arnold, uh, there's a sales rep, and he's traveled all the way from Mexico to come meet with me. Um, and talk about some products that he wants to sell in our space here. Uh, and I need you to entertain him for about 45 minutes because I'm running late. And so why did I feel inadequate in that space? Well, firstly, um, I, did, I had no idea what uh, products this guy was bringing. I didn't have any knowledge about it, and I also had no authority to make any decisions. Um, I was in the purchasing department, but I didn't have that authority. And secondly, and probably the most scary part of this was, uh, this guy s did not speak English, and I am what is known in Chicano culture as a pocho. And if you don't know what a pocho is, it is someone who is of Mexican-American ethnicity, uh, but doesn't speak the language very well. And it's a shameful place to be. <laughs> but I'm a pocho. And so I said, uh, I, don't, I feel completely overwhelmed. How did I get in this space? How did I get in this space? Well, one day, pre at a, a day previous, um, he had overheard me speaking a little bit of Spanish and carrying on with a coworker in the break room. And, he's, and, uh, and, you know, I had been exposed to some Spanish, mostly Spanglish in my home, a little bit from my nana when I would cook with her in the kitchen. Um, and I took classes in high school, you know, or whatever. But I was far from proficient. But it was good enough for him to say, Arnold, I, I saw your last name, but I, I didn't know you speak Spanish. I'm going to put you in charge of our communications to Mexico. And I said, no, sir, why do you speak to me like this? Do you not know that I am a light-skinned Chicano, pocho, with a gringa for a mother? And we use yellow cheese in our Mexican food. It's shameful. Do you not know that I am among the lowest, among the clans of Mexicans? 
but he thought that's, that the need for someone to speak Spanish uh, in his purchasing department was greater than, uh, you know, I guess my pochoness. So he begins to work with me. He himself spoke Spanish, and so he, he's like, I'm going to have you cross this truck from, from Mexico into El Paso. I'm going to be right here with you. You know, so, you know, gradually I get better. I get to call down there. I call down on orders. I talk to them in Spanish. It's great. I'm getting better and better. And actually, it kind of felt good now in this moment where I was feeling that, that, you know, he would trust me with such a big moment, this sales rep coming all the way from Mexico just to talk to him. I felt good. So, did I rise to the moment? Did I, did I lose myself in the music? Did I own it? Did I never let it go? No, no. I said, what about Luis? <laughs> no, he's not available. Pedro? Uh, no, Pedro's not here today. And I want you to do it. And I had to do it. And I absolutely blew it. <laughs> I'm not, well, I wish I could say I did, you know, like, you know, the Lord was with me or something and I just, you know, uh, no. About 15 minutes in, this guy was using like really, you know, industry-specific Spanish and, you know, the way more subjunctive tense than I'm comfortable with. And I just said, I, 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 I said in Spanish, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not the guy that's supposed to be doing this. <laughs> Would you settle for a tour? I can take you around the place. And that's, that's, that's how it went. And, you know, after that day, you know, my boss comes up to me with a little smirk and he's like, he said your Spanish was rusty, you know, <laughs> you know. And in that moment, I felt humiliated, I'll be honest. I was like, I let that sort of insecurity take me to a place where I was angry. And I'm like, yeah, I could have told you that. And I tried to tell you that. I tried to get Luis. And instead, I got this. No. Everybody, I think, uh, would have a story, something like that, where you felt overwhelmed and inadequate in the moment. Today, we're going to hear a story about uh, a guy named Saul who uh, felt inadequate when the moment came and he sunk away. He allowed his feeling of inadequacy to make him insecure. And this, this, this sermon's not about insecurity and how to manage it, but I want us to, even now to begin to think about our own insecurities because if we allow our sense of inadequacy to turn into insecurities, uh, crazy things happen. Crazy things happen. All right, let's pray and then we'll get started. God, I thank you for your word. I pray, God, that by it we are formed today, that we are encouraged today. God, I pray that by the hearing of your word and the power of your spirit, we would uh, experience the blessings that come from the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, last week we began a series out of 1 Samuel uh, called We Want a King. And Seth kind of parachuted us into chapter 8, and uh, he gave us some context of what made Israel go from a, a, a nation who didn't have a king to one who did have a who wanted a king. And I think it's worth uh, 
at the start here to go through a little bit of review so we know where we're at because it's going to help me out a little bit as we get into this chapter. So at the beginning of 1 Samuel, it takes place during the time of the judges, which if we were to read about that time, uh, it was a time when everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And you can imagine that if everybody's doing what is right in their own eyes and not what God has said is right, that there's this chaos. There's moral chaos. There's political chaos. And then there's just plain community chaos. And the community begins to dissolve and it, and it makes Israel uh, ripe for invasion because their communities have broken down. And so there's these foreign nations that come in and, and, and oppress the people of Israel and the people of Israel cry out to God and they say, God, save us. We're sorry, please save us. And so God sends a judge to be a political leader, to be a religious leader to some degree and to be a military leader. And, and, they, and they come in and they, they bring victory to, and stability to the area. Last week, uh, Seth introduced us to the very last judge in the history of Israel. His name was Samuel, and Samuel did what was good in the sight of the Lord. He not only brought this stability politically and militarily, but he also brought the people's attention towards the Lord. And so he was doing what he should do, but that didn't last. His sons messed it up. And eventually the, God, or, or the, the people of Israel said to God, we are sick of this process of you being a king and us having to wait on you. We want to have a king like what we see in the nations that are conquering us. They seem to have a better handle on this. We don't want you to be our king. We want our own king. And so God gives them what they want. And when he does it, it's not necessarily as a blessing, even though he is very gracious throughout, but it is meant as a judgment. And so now that brings us to today. We're going to meet the very first king of Israel, and his name is Saul. And there's something really important that we need to understand about Saul from the beginning, because I think he gets a lot of I think he gets a lot of a flack in, in, in Christian teaching because of what later comes on, what, what later happens in his story. But Saul, this is what I want us to understand here today and hopefully we begin to sense, is a lot like us. He's a lot like us. We're going to be able to find ourselves in this story today in the life of Saul. And he is essentially a mixed bag. He's not all bad, not all good. He's got a mixture of good and not so good. All right, so I want us to do that. We're gonna hopefully, uh, we're gonna get into the actual text here and hopefully when we do, we're gonna, we're gonna get a picture of the kind of guy that Saul is and hopefully a mirror even to our own selves. So let's start in chapter nine. Open up together with me if you would. We're gonna start in verse one. I'm gonna read a couple of verses here. There was a man, this is the introduction of, of Saul, who he is. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of, son of Becherath, son of 
Afia, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. I practiced those and I still messed it up. Look at that. <clears throat> a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Okay, so far so good. We get a picture of a man who is wealthy. And whether you, depending on where you come from in your own experience, that could be a good thing or a bad thing. But this is a person who comes from wealth. Uh, this is a person who is handsome and who's taller than anyone. He's a picture of strength. You know, he's the tall kid on the playground. And it would appear that all of these things could be really great for a king to have as attributes, right? You know, he's, he's nice on the eyes. He's, he's got this charisma just by standing there, right? And yet, there's, he is, as I have said, a mixed bag. And so there's this detail in here that the writer puts that is very important it says he is what? A Benjaminite. Now, we may not know what that means here in today's time, but if you were to read back then, you would have known exactly what this means. You would have, if, he, if you would have heard the term Benjaminite, you would have been like, ugh. Ugh, one, he's one of those guys. Why? Well, Benjamin was one of the tribes of Israel. There were 12 tribes, and it was nearly wiped out by all the other tribes in a civil war, the only civil war of Israel. And the reason for that, that civil war is absolutely horrible. It was because some people from the hometown of Saul, Gibeah, some people, a gang of ruthless men came and violated a woman and then murdered her and did a despicable act before the Lord. And rather than giving up those men for, for justice, the people of Gibeah, these Benjaminites, protected them. The Benjaminites protected them, and so there was this war. And so already, from the beginning, you see this tall, handsome, wealthy man, but he's a Benjaminite. Saul is a mixed bag, and it doesn't end there. Let's keep going. Let's read in verse 3. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, take one of the young men with you and arise. Go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim, and he passed through the land of Shalishah, but they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalim, but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuf, Saul said to a servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in this city, and he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. And then Saul said to a servant, But if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? And so the servant answered Saul again, Here I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. And then skip down to verse 10. And Saul said to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So, that they, went, so they went to the city where the man of God was. Okay. Again, I want us to see this mixed bag with Saul. He... When, his don when the donkeys are lost, he obeys his father faithfully and he goes and searches them out for three days. 
And yet, at the end of those three days, he's ready to call it quits. And he says this, he's like, you know, he appears to be concerned about the worry that his father's going to be having. Like, uh, my father's going to be worried. We don't want him to worry. Let's go back. Right? So there's this, is that good or is that bad? I don't know. He's, he's kind of a mixed bag. But imagine if he is not able, he's, he's so ready to quit that if, if he can't manage this task of bringing back some donkeys, what does that say for when he is over a nation? Right? And he, is he ready to call it quits after a couple of days? You know? And we find that this, this servant is more resourceful than he is. He's like, hey, I've got a place, or I, I know this guy. He's a, he's a seer. Why didn't, why, didn't, why didn't Saul know that? He, he seems to be a little bit clueless about even people in his own area, the political and religious climate of his own area. He's not a very religious man. And then at the end, he's like, yeah, I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you your props. You know, hey, good job. That's a great idea. But yet, he's just not, he doesn't have near the resourcefulness of even this servant. So again, this text is showing us this sort of mixed bag of Saul. So, Saul moves, or Saul goes and meets Samuel after some events, and uh, Samuel, when he meets him, says some pretty crazy things, and that's where I want us to move to next. We're going to move to uh, verses, or uh, chapter, no, verses 20 and 21 of chapter 9. All right, oops. So this is the first interaction that Saul and Samuel have together when they meet. Samuel tells Saul, as for the donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? And Saul answered, am I not a Benjaminite from the least of the tribes of Israel? Is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? So what we see here again there's this sort of humility that we find in Saul. He's not a king who's going to be like, hey, I'm the best. He recognizes. He's got this realistic expectation. I'm, I'm of the lowest of the, 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 the clans. Why are you doing this? He's quick to believe, hey, maybe these donkeys have been found. But he's a little bit hesitant to believe that there's more, that there's this, you know, this calling that could be placed on his life of leadership. And so we see here, again, this mixed bag, and it continues on from there. But Saul ultimately goes along with Samuel. Okay, okay, so I'm buying this. Samuel says, hey, I'm telling you the truth. I'm gonna give you some signs here to let you know that the, I'm not just making this up, that, I'm, that this message comes from God, this, this calling on your life comes from God. And so uh, starting in chapter 10, I want us to read there um, quickly. Um, and oops, yeah, 10 verse one. Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And so here in this very religious ceremony, Saul is anointed. And he's saying, you're going to be the one, Samuel tells him, you're going to be the one who leads God's people. All right? 
well, that doesn't last very long. Samuel, he, all these things come true. All these things come true. Let's read verse, uh, verse 9. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day, all the signs that Samuel had said. And when they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. Meaning, he spoke the words of God to the people. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, what has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? You see, Saul was not a religious man, was he? It was so out of character for him to speak the words of God that it, it was a marvel to these people. Um, and so let's skip down to verse 14. Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, where did you go? And he said, to seek the donkeys. And when we saw that there were, they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. Again, is this humility or is this cowardice? Is this humility or cowardice? He tells, him about, he tells his uncle about the donkeys, but he's seen a, a miracle after miracle. He's been anointed. He's been told, hey, you're going to be the one. And he's like, I'm still going to hold on to that one because I don't want to sit under the weight of that, what that could mean, right? Saul, a mixed bag. Why do I keep saying mixed bag? Say, Arnold, stop saying that. It's because we are often too hard on Saul. When I look at Saul after studying this, I see me. And I hope that you see yourselves. Because if you have not come up against a space of feeling inadequate, then you are out of touch with reality. So what happens? Eventually, as we read in the passage earlier, as the scripture reader read, Saul is publicly declared the king. He's chosen to be king. But before he can be chosen to be king publicly, where is he? He's found hiding. That is so like us. Adam in the beginning... He felt naked and ashamed and he hid. And we, his descendants, have done that ever since. Have done that ever since. And there's one warning from this passage that I want us to really understand today, if nothing else. We need to come out from hiding. We need to begin to question our insecurities, to seek them out, to hunt them down, to question them, to recognize them, because they are destructive. Why? We don't sit in our insecurity very long. Subconsciously, we want to get on top of those things. We do not like the unpleasant feeling of feeling inadequate. And so we develop ways in which we can combat that insecurity. And it never goes good for the people around us. 
If you go, if you go and look at this passage now, and you look at Saul's insecurities, all of a sudden, everything, it's like everything becomes confusing. Was he really caring? Did he really care about his father worrying about him? Did he really think that he was of lowly stature, of a Benjaminite? Every, every word he says now comes, becomes confusing. Even true statements, they're confusing. I want us, as a people of faith, I want us as a people of faith to recognize that we aren't dependent on ourselves. We're dependent on God. That, inse- that insecurity ought to, ought to drive us straight to the cross. I don't want to leave us with just that warning about insecurity. I want to exhort us today, so I'm going to give us three exhortations that I hope will be helpful to us based on this passage. Exhortation number one. It is the will of God that matters in a situation, not our priorities. It is the will of God that matters, not our priorities. We often go about life as if like things are just kind of like happening to us and, and hopefully we can, you know, uh, uh, get past it. And they're kind of random events and, you know, uh, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're hoping that maybe we can, like in, in Mario, you know, like in, in the original Mario, you know, you, we're going through all these events, we're collecting coins, and we're just like, hey, I hope I can get a star that will kind of help me get through this passage, or help me get through this land. And we, we're going to emerge either victorious, or we're going to emerge as victims, or ones who lose, Right? But yet we continually go in the same direction. We can't ever go backwards. We're a lot like Mario. I think I like that metaphor. <laughs> but that is not the perspective that we see here in this passage. In this story, God uses some donkeys getting loose and Saul not being able to find them and the wisdom of, the, of a servant all of these things to bring about a divine appointment. An encounter with the the will of God, the direct will of God, by the power of God, that was brought about by a very ordinary situation. We ought to evaluate all of our situations with with this question, what is God doing? Think about all of the things that have happened to you, good and bad, recently. Think about those things. Think about the places where you were stressed. Think about the places where you were bored, where you were annoyed with the monotony of the day. Think about those moments. Think about those moments. What if we entered into those moments with this posture? Instead of, that's annoying. Instead of, I hate that. Instead of, what in the world? What if we ask this question? What is God doing? If we can begin to ask that question, do it this week. I promise you, blessings will come from it. Because it turns an ordinary donkey hunt, like I'm, I'm hunting for donkeys that are lost, into a hunt for a divine appointment. What is God doing? What is God doing? 
Wow. If we don't do that, if we focus on our priorities, our own priorities, then our life shrinks down to our own priorities. All right, exhortation number two. It is the work of God that matters in a situation, not our own abilities. It is the work of God that matters in a situation, not our own abilities. Amen? Amen. Saul is made a prophet and a king, not by his impressive attributes, but by what? The work of God. Shaquille O'Neal, did he make himself a behemoth who could shoot a basketball from a short distance? No, he did not. I'm sure he practiced. I'm sure he put in work. He stayed out of trouble. But all of that compared to the fact that he was born of a dad who didn't raise him because if that dad would have raised him, he could have went in the same way and ended up in jail, but he was raised by somebody else. So he got the, he got the dad's genetics, that stature, but he didn't get the dad's behavior. He was born in America. He was given opportunity. He was able to go to college. All of whatever Shaq contributed to his thing it, 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 it pales in comparison to everything that had to be in place for him to be a star athlete. The same is true of us. Now, what are your strengths? Is it a good home, a good family, a good job? Is it brains? Is it looks? What is it that God has given you that's gifted you? Guess what? If you, are, if you rely on those things, then your world will shrink to the level of those things. It will only be as big as those. When you rely on your abilities, your life will shrink to the level of your abilities. All right, exhortation number three and the last one. It is the calling of God that matters, not our shrewd discernment. It is the calling of God that matters, not our shrewd discernment. I'm going to be talking to two people, a side A and a side B to this reality. The first people. We are called in Christ to embrace the identity that God has given us, not to shrink away from it but we have many good reasons why we shouldn't act in faith, don't we? Just like Saul, did everything Saul say, wasn't it true? Like everything we could say, oh, it's true. Even the part about his father being worried, his father was worried. Everything he said was true. We all have good reasons for why we should not step into an extra, a greater measure of faith, a greater relationship with the Lord, and a greater ability to serve the people around us. We make excuses. We nuance it to death. And there's two areas where I think this is common in our particular community. One, 
we love to pursue safety. And we have good reasons why we shouldn't do what we've been called to do. Plenty of them, and they're true, aren't they? But that disregards the call of God. The other place that I see this very common is that we pursue, we pursue mental health. Mental health, mental health, mental health. And I'm not saying that mental health and pursuing mental health is bad. In fact, it could be a way of following after the Lord. But if our purpose is to pursue mental health and not pursue the calling of God, there we have gone wrong. There we have gone wrong. That was side A. That was side A. God's call in your life is the most important. It's the most exciting. Side B. I'm talking about the folks who shrewdly discern others. Side B. Anybody in this camp? I'm kind of A and B. There's a, there's the last part of this, I kept this in the reading because I, it just hit me really hard as I was, as I was preparing for this. And it says that worthless fellows, I'm going to read it, Uh, verse 27, but some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present. There are some of us in here who are so good at discerning the trouble, the problem, what's wrong with the people around us. Like we're just so good at, you know what their problem is? Oh, I see, you know what? They don't even know it, but they have got this underlying problem. They've got this insecurity. They're the insecurity police. Be careful. Be careful. Sometimes God chooses imperfect people. He chose you and me, didn't he? Sometimes he chooses imperfect people. Worthless men are the ones who refuse to acknowledge the identity that God has given and the work God has done in other people. They live by sight, not by faith in what God can do. They continually see reality. They're the realists. They think they can see above the work and promises of God? No. When we focus on our own shrewd discernment, the work of God in us and in others shrinks to our own discernment. But those of us in this room who follow Jesus, we look at somebody who did not follow his own priorities but followed the will of God to the cross for our sake. 
Amen? He did not rely on his own abilities, but he said, I don't do anything but what I see my father doing. And when he engaged with people like the woman at the well, he who knew what was in the heart of a man hoped in the work of the Lord in her life. That is the one we follow. That is the one today that says, that gives us the ability now to live out this calling that we have been called to. A life that is worth living. Let's pray. Father, we are so in awe of your love and commitment to us. That your will for our lives is not a harsh will, it is a will of love and compassion. That the work in your life is effective and it changes and it gives life. That your calling is sure and cannot be damaged by the outside. God, we want, we want to follow you. We want to follow you with our hearts. We want to answer your call. God, please give us the courage. Give us the courage to stand in the identity that you've already given us in Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.